Welcome to Postscript. My name is Dave Severns, uh, worship pastor here at Compass Point, and with me again is lead pastor Paul Eastwood. How's it going? It's going all right. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm uh, interested and excited to get into a strange and difficult topic, perhaps. Yeah, this is uh, this is a fun one. Now, did you think when you chose to go through the books of Thessalonians, did you think it would be this hard? <laughs> I think that's the first good opening question for you. Yeah, that's a good. It's a good question in the sense, like what what exactly is hard? Um, mm-hmm. Certainly, the topics that we're covering uh, have turned out to be, you know, certainly more. Um, yeah, I mean, we we've tackled some things around, you know, around sexuality and around death and around the, you know, the second coming and. And there's a lot of things in there that um, can make us uncomfortable, but perhaps nothing makes us more uncomfortable than the idea of Jesus as the one who brings judgment. Mm-hmm. Uh, this seems like it's way out of line for who we know Jesus to be, at least here in the West, right? We think of Jesus as the, you know, as the one who, um, you know, is the comforting, you know, caring for the lost sheep and, you know, going off into the distance to try to find the one sheep that's wandered away and, yeah. you know. It's it's tough to see this picture that's painted in first or second Thessalonians of Jesus in blazing fire coming mm-hmm. with his holy ones like punishing along the way. I mean this is like ah. we we really <laughs> we like ready? The, the image of Jesus surrounded by the little children kind of telling off the old grumpy disciples who were yeah. actually that old or grumpy. But this one's a little yeah, it's a little harder to get our heads wrapped around and it kind of gets us into hell. It gets us into this idea of God's judgment and it's it's something that that frankly uh, isn't isn't all that popular to talk about, isn't all that easy to talk about. So we're going to talk about it, right, Paul? Right. Um, okay. I know as you were going through the sermon this week, there was a lot of stuff you said and a lot of stuff you didn't have a t- time to say or kind of just started to get into. Is there anything, as we start, anything really interesting that came out of your studies this week? Well, I, I think... Yeah, I mean, I think I think there was a lot of interesting things that came out. I mean, I, I'd want to frame this discussion, though, first of all, around the idea of what the the Thessalonian church or what the church in Thessalonica sure. was facing. Yeah, give like, some context. It, because I think the context is important that, that, you know, we don't read these things in a vacuum. Sometimes we mm. go to t- subjects, like we like to look for subjects in the Bible and then we're like, okay, this is about the subject of this, or this is about the subject of this, which is true, but we always need to read that, recognize that these were written for a purpose, right? So yeah. when Paul was writing to the church in Thessalonica, he was worried that the church was going to start abandoning what they had been taught taught Mm. and he was worried about this because they were looking around and everything was falling apart for them people that they loved were being killed and so with with that kind of despair it's easy to have our faith shaken and what paul goes to in order to encourage them is that this this idea of judgment at the end times and for us in the western kind of culture it's like I, this doesn't this doesn't seem right, but I mm. think we have to recognize that Paul's purpose in writing was to encourage the believers so that they would have the strength to endure what they're enduring. And I think that's important for us too. I think for us, those of us who are in those places where, you know, life is just going backwards or sideways or whatever you want to describe it. And it's like, yeah. how am I going to get through this? And Paul says, why don't you look at this idea of judgment and hell even at the last days and how can that encourage you? Um, mm. And I think that perhaps that's not the first place that many of us would go. Um, no. So I think that's, to me, that's the first thing that I would say was sort of unique and interesting about what I was studying is that we can actually look at the end times, including the judgment that we see mm-hmm. as a way of encouraging us, 
today uh, to face what we're facing now. Yeah, and it, for me, this is a really good reminder, actually, because I I tend to uh, I tend to be reactionary against kind of escapism, mm -hmm. uh, and this like you know ah if, if all you do is talk about what's coming, you you don't you miss what's here and now, you miss the moment, and yet Paul kind of takes this church in the middle of of really hard times and says like you have to get your perspective right, you have to understand what is coming, uh, and why it's why and, it's and so good. And that what you said is perfect is so important for us to hear. And and let's not forget that Paul never says that they should be waiting passively or that they should no. just be waiting for the end. In fact, we're going to talk exactly about that in two weeks uh, when we talk about that idea of people who thought, no, I'm just going to I you know, the end is coming. So forget what's going on now. I'm just going to ignore it. Mm. Paul says, no, like we live now in light of what's coming in the future. But I think what we're getting at maybe is is the thing that I kind of mentioned is that is that in our attempt to sanitize our understanding of Jesus yep. or make him more palatable to our friends and neighbors and the people around us, we talk all the time about who Jesus is in this idea of compassion and care. And he, you know, reaches out to the hurting and to the lost and he, mm -hmm. you know, kicked around the religious elite and, you know, all this kind of stuff that makes us feel good. And we share those things, but what we regret, what we don't share is this picture of Jesus as a conquering savior, the one who is mm -hmm. victorious, who arrives back on the scene to make all things right. And I think when we avoid that side of who Jesus is, it's a part of who he is. What we do is we, we take away a characteristic that actually can help people. So for instance, what I mean by that is that we know people who are suffering with cancer or suffering through some of these really difficult and hard things in life. Yeah. And yes, I can come alongside them and say, Jesus cares about you. Yes, I can come alongside them and say, yeah, you know, Jesus has been where you are and he knows how you're feeling. He weeps with you when you're going through that. All of that is true. But the best news is that your cancer doesn't have the final word, mm. that evil in the world doesn't have the final word, that Jesus will ultimately come back and make things right victoriously in power. And I would say to you, if you go to other parts of the world and you talk about who Jesus is, they're going to tell you about his power. But so rarely do we talk about this, this victorious power of Jesus. We'd rather mm. talk about his love. And I think that's more about where we are in our Western culture, starved of love, um, than it actually is about trying to have a full idea of who Jesus is. Yeah. L let me just read this passage uh, again. It's, it's helpful for me. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm going to... All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. It's good so far, right? Pretty simple. Yeah. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. Yeah. Okay. You know, that's fun. Kind of superhero-y. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. So, I mean, that's pretty, um, it, like, 
it's i'm you know maybe it's my western perspective maybe you can help me understand this it's pretty hard to kind of like everlasting destruction and put that together with god's like unfathomably wonderful love right right um so how how do we how do we understand that you talked a little bit about hell and kind of the the what hell is and the choices that make hell and selfishness and can you can you unpack this a little more for us well, I think in our culture, we think of the idea of hell as in, so basically we we have this picture in our minds that God sends some people to hell because they haven't agreed with him or followed him or done what he wants them to do. And mm. then there's this picture of as he's sending them off to hell in this last moment, people are calling out and saying, no, 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 you didn't. I'm sorry. I didn't know. I didn't know. And he's saying too late, you know, you've made your decision and, and sends them, sends them to hell. That is not the picture that we see in the Bible. Right. And I think that, I think C.S. Lewis actually is probably someone who um, uh, talks about this a little bit. Tim Keller talks about this a lot. Let me, let me read to you a quote from C.S. Lewis about hell itself. He says that hell begins with a grumbling mood, always complaining, always blaming others, but you are still distinct from it. You may even criticize it in yourself and wish you could stop it, but there comes a day when you can no longer. Then there will be no you left to criticize the mood or even to enjoy it, but just the grumble itself going on forever like a machine. It's not a question of God sending us to hell. In each of us, there is something growing which will be hell unless it's nipped in the bud. So it's an mm. interesting idea. He said, let me say that last part again. It's not yeah. a question of God sending us to hell. In each of us, there's something growing which will be hell unless it's nipped in the bud. And I think what he's talking about is this idea of self-centeredness. And this is what the Bible, you know, right from the the original sin that happens in the Old Testament, where we see Adam and Eve, this idea of wanting to be little gods, wanting to control our lives. Yeah. And so there, there are either two ways that we can, we can either put ourself at the center of our life and, and become self-centered, or we can put God at the center of our life and become God-centered, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that every one of us would say, you know, I know what bad self-centered looks like. Like we know when people are self-centered, they're not fun to be around. Like they generally are kind of blind to things. They're miserable. They become kind of just so engrossed in their own, you know, selves that they, and, and sometimes we'll tell them, no, you got to think outside yourself, like care for someone, think, you know, think of somebody different. So I think we understand the danger of self-centeredness But what I would say is that we fail to see self-centeredness in those who are like good people, but not following Jesus. Hmm. And what we find in those people is that there's a tendency at some level to create our own um, godlike experience where we, we sort of elevate certain things and not elevate other things and say, if I live my life this way and do good things to people and care for them, then I can be in control of my own future. And so we put ourselves as our own savior. And I think what happens and what, you know, Tim Keller and I think what C.S. Lewis would say is that God doesn't send us to hell. We actually choose hell all the way along. We choose to be completely in and of like to be the ones who are in control. And I think in this passage, you know, we can say, okay, I'm uncomfortable with this idea that where it says, uh, let me just find it here for a second. You just read it. But where where it talks about this, you know, being punished with everlasting yeah. destruction. We say, everlasting I don't like that. Yeah. But then what he says next is, and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. And I believe that it's the presence of God 
or the absence of God, which is heaven or hell. Hmm. And so I think uh, Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, away from the favor and face of God, we literally, horrifically, and endlessly fall apart. So this idea of destruction or self-destruction or this implosion that just kind of happens when we're self-centered is exactly what happens when Jesus isn't at the, fr- the forefront of our lives, where we try to put ourselves in that place. So, so what I'm trying to get at, if, if it's not clear, is that, is that we, as we become more and more self-centered, we actually continue on this path towards hell that is actually of our own making. Mm. And, you know, I, I know I'm babbling here, but another no, example great. is when Jesus, when Jesus does this, he tells a parable about the rich man and Lazarus, and he tells, yeah. he paints a picture of heaven and hell that we don't fully understand. But what we do see is that the the rich man who ends up in, in Hades kind of looking up and seeing Lazarus with Abraham or whatever it is mm-hmm. that he sees, he doesn't ask to come out of hell. There's no repentance at that point. He's asking for uh, Lazarus to come and give him a drink or, you know, tip, you know, yeah. and, and the thing I find really interesting is that I don't believe that those people who end up in hell are actually, uh, they're getting exactly what they want mm-hmm. uh, in the sense that they're being led towards uh, what the, 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 it's basically self-centeredness times infinity. It's, yeah. it's putting myself on the throne and God says, that's not the way that you were designed and that will lead to destruction. And some people say, nope, looks good to me from here. And they go on a path that carries on into infinity. On the other hand, you have people who say, I'm going to put Jesus at the center of my life, even when it doesn't make sense. And what we see there is an eternity in the presence of God. And that's heaven, right? So that's kind of the, the mm. contrast that we see there that sometimes can get really difficult. I'm I'm struck so much as you're as you're talking about this and quoting you know great theologians and and quoting the Bible, <laughs> helpfully how how much this kind of passage shows us what we read into the Bible as opposed yeah. to what we read out of it right so this is you you've given us a great example of how to read out of the Bible, um, which is surprisingly hard to do right we come with these lenses and frameworks and these assumptions I mean even like Dante's Inferno the classic piece of literature which is helpful and good and poetic and really interesting theologically. Um, it has informed so much imagery around hell about the, you know, the lake of fire and the yeah. like, which, which comes out of biblical language, but it's kind of taken that down a road where I think everyone, when they hear hell and picture hell now, what they picture is like, Oh, God's like, you know, torturing people for all eternity in in terribleness and and i mean there's so many tv shows out there that kind of reference this and and we we then read those things back into the bible and we say well that like i can't see how a loving god would do that but what we're reading in is not what the bible's saying we're reading in our own interpretation of the bible um and i think this is man this is case great case for why we preach sermons like this and why we think you you've got to read the bible you've got to be in it and it's like this is why doing church every week is important because we have so much, so much we can learn and so much counter formation that needs to happen as we approach the scripture. Yeah. Uh, as we unpack and, stuff. And, you know, I got to say one thing about, uh, again, about hell is that I think sometimes we, there's two pictures that are used and, and, you know, so what the, the benefit of the format that we're doing as we kind of have these conversations is that, you know, we're just kind of talking out loud and saying a few things. And so I, yep. I think, you know, I, I'd be prepared to be pointed in a different direction on this, but in my reading mm. on these things, there's two pictures of hell. And one is this lake of fire, 
um, and that which which really speaks to the disintegration of self. This this like just this completely coming apart of ourselves and destruction. Mm. And then there's this other picture, which is the um, the separation, the idea of like, you know, how many times in a parable does the person end up outdoors, you know, outside mm-hmm. of the banquet, outside of the city, outside of the, you know, the house or whatever it is in the darkness. And and those two things, I think, are representative of what hell is. Do mm-hmm. I believe that there is a literal burning fire and there's, you know, like Satan standing there with a pitchfork poking people as they're burning? I don't. Right. Dante's I don't. Inferno. S- I don't see that um, exactly. What I think, though, is important is that there is this eternal uh, coming apart of ourselves, just Mm. completely dismantling of of our self. And then the other thing is the separation from God. And, Mm. And I think that when we see Jesus on the cross in agony, and he calls out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's mm. this moment, I believe, where God turns his head away from Jesus. And for a moment, he he understands what it means to be completely separated from the Father. Yeah. And and I think that the more we diminish hell and, and in our minds kind of sanitize it and use some soap to kind of make it a little feel a little nicer and a little bit more comical, what we end up doing is we take that moment on the cross and we cheapen it. We, we take the moment that Jesus died on the cross and took on all, all of our sins. And we say, really, what we're talking about is just a little thing. Because, you know, hell is not a literal place and everybody is going to get there one day. And Jesus, you know, accepts everyone. Well, now you're saying the love that was shown to us on the cross was only a little love. Yeah. Whereas when we when we understand or embrace the richness or the 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 picture of hell and the big picture we actually see the the forgiveness of christ on the cross as something enormous and so mm-hmm. his love for us is seen to be so much bigger and and that's why i actually quoted and again i'm quoting a whole bunch of different people but rc sproul said we in order for us to understand we have to understand what we're saved from before we can appreciate the full joy of salvation yeah and and when we diminish hell, we actually diminish uh, the, the 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 love of Jesus as a savior, um, and we and we diminish that. And I think that's the real challenge here. We need to hold, we need to see God's love as so much bigger, and 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 the judgment in the end actually helps us see that, which is which is a little bit strange. But I think for me at least, it starts to make sense. Hmm, that's really good. You know, we don't have much time left, and I'm going to ask you a really hard question, which you won't be able to get fully into. But what do we do? Uh, like, what do we do about God's justice and people who maybe don't know Jesus yet? Um, how do we like, or or have never heard of Jesus? How, like, do they end up in God's judgment apart from Him if they haven't had a chance to meet Him? How do we? How do we even think about that biblically? I actually think that's an easy question, an easier question, in the sense that we don't know. And um, I don't think the Bible is clear about that. I think the Bible is clear that those who reject Jesus um, in whatever fashion, I mean, uh, are, uh, you know, are certainly um, people who would end up um, in that place of destruction. But um, but yeah, the, the idea of people who have never heard you know, I I think that there is room for us to um, you know to recognize God's love in the midst of that, and whether they experience God through nature, through creation. Romans one tells us there's all kinds of ways to see God in our world um, that's apart from what we read in the Bible, 
And, you know, I, I don't know the answer and, and I'm okay with that because I don't, my faith doesn't uh, put things into boxes in a sense that it doesn't make me get to that place where I would mm. have to say, like, I feel very confident that I could say that people who don't know God or are away from him, um, you know, may not go to hell. And I don't think that that diminishes my, uh, my understanding of, of eternal punishment. Yeah. Okay. That's great. Uh, this is great conversation. Obviously lots more. Um, take us back as we wrap up, Paul, take yeah. us back to comfort and encouragement. Right. So, you know, I think pain is not without purpose. There mm. are, there are, and I'm not suggesting that everything that we're facing is good or that we should tell people that, Hey, you're having this terrible situation. This is good. But what I am saying is that God can use that. If God can use Jesus death on the cross to make, to change everything, um, then he can certainly use our difficult circumstances to affect change and help us. And so I think that we, if we recognize that there is a possibility for purpose that comes out of our pain, I think that's important. And then the other thing is that God's justice gives us hope. And that's what I've just been talking about, but it shows us the depth of his love, because when we recognize that he sent his son to die on the cross and experience hell, in that in that context, we see the love of God far deeper um, than we would otherwise. But then, finally, and most importantly, and I said this earlier on in our in our talk, but the judgment of God means that He has the final word. And and I think yeah. this is so powerful because it's you know when our world is falling apart, it's not evil that has the last word. It's not cancer. It's not abuse. It's not oppression. It's not brokenness. Mm. It's not any of those things that has the final word. And so we don't have to look at our, our world and despair without hope. We know that there is a future when, the, when Jesus, who is compassionate and loving, when he returns in power, he yeah. makes everything right. Yeah. And to me, that just fills me with so much confidence to face whatever I'm facing today. Oh, that's so good. Uh, this has been a great conversation, Paul, uh, and I'm looking forward to more of these. Again, if you're listening along and you've got questions or wrestling with something or not sure about something that one of us said, reach out. We would love to hear from you, love to be able to engage with you. Uh, next week, we'll be back, but not with you, Paul. It's going to be That's myself right. and Chris, and we're going to keep talking about challenging stuff through the Thessalonians. Uh, really looking forward to that. Thanks for listening along. We'll see you back here next week with more Postscript. Postscript.